want you to know it's a tremendous privilege for me to be here this morning as we worship God together, praying for a knowledge of his presence in our midst here this morning as we seek his face and want his will to be done in our lives. But maybe just a, a little testimony here before we get into the message, uh, a testimony about God's uh, protection in his divine providence. Uh, Wednesday night, we were at a conference and uh, left uh, the Pike Church there, headed north on 81. This is a little after 9 o'clock. It's dark, just hadn't started raining yet. So we got through Harrisonburg, where, where the speed limit went up to 70. We were going about 70 in the right lane. And uh, feel this. And uh, one of my daughters in the back said, what's wrong with this car? And I looked, and the mirror had looked already, and I saw this truck headlights right on top of us. And uh, my first thought is, this guy does not know we're there, and i got to get out of his way. So I stepped on it and whipped it over into the shoulder and left him pass. And I thought, well, it seems like everything's okay. So I got back on and was following him, started flashing my lights at him. I didn't know what damage was done. And uh, we went on up to exit 251, he got off, and we followed him. He went into the truck stop, and he got out. And before he got back to us, I went around the back. It's my daughter's car, and then there was only some scuffs on the back bumper. Couldn't believe it. And uh, so he came back and said, what's going on? I said, well, you hit us. He said, well, I, I didn't know. And I said, yeah, but I said, We've checked it out, everything's fine, we're okay, and God took care of us. And, uh, of course, he was, uh, you know, the tattoo and earring type of fellow, but he was very respectful, he said, he's so sorry, and he said, he'll take care of whatever, I said, it's all taken care of. And uh, he shook our hands, and he wasn't sure, I said, I don't know about your culture, shaking my daughter's hands there, but I said, that's fine, and and we wish Lord's blessing on him. We were on our way. But I guess all of us can understand if that time would have been just a little bit different, I wouldn't be here to talk about it. Uh, this was an 18-wheeler, Peter Belt, with a straight nose. He, he did not know we were there. And so let's praise God for his protection. So this morning I took on a challenge that I have been meditating on for years and uh, I haven't tackled it before, but I've been thinking on it a lot. And the, the reason maybe I haven't tackled it before is to get this compatible or something that we can grab a hold of and apply to our lives this morning. And that's the challenging part of it. I uh, tend to like theoretical things and, and go there, but uh, we know that there's some very practical things. That, the title of the message this morning is The Tree of Knowledge versus The Tree of Life. The Tree of Knowledge, we could add to that knowledge of good and evil versus The Tree of Life. And uh, we'll turn to Genesis there and look at that a little bit. Genesis chapter 2, the introduction to these trees. Verse 8, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And jumping down to uh, verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat, freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Moving on to chapter 3, uh, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. 
And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, but God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And it goes on to say how their eyes were open, and they realized their state before, uh, before God, their fallen state. Uh, we know that sin originally entered into the human race by partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, another thought, I'm not sure you thought about it, uh, it makes it pretty clear that the, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, both of them were in the midst of the garden. Giving the understanding they were probably in close proximity to each other. God did not forbid that Adam and Eve would eat of the tree of life. And I don't know, this could be entering into speculation a little bit, it seems to me quite possibly that when the serpent came, or Satan, we could say, in the form of the serpent, came to, to talk to Eve, I, I get this picture that possibly she could have been standing there looking at this tree. In other words, I think when, when Satan tempts us, he knows already where our heart's at in an issue to a certain extent, and we won't want to take that too far. But I think there was an attraction to this tree, and I think that uh, the enemy of our souls understands these things maybe better than we do. But the question I have for us is why was Eve drawn to the tree that was forbidden when this other tree was freely available? Would there not have been more attraction to the tree of life than the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil? And that's kind of a foundation I want to lay for this message here this morning. <clears throat> we go on a little bit more about the, the tree of life. We see it brought up again here at the end of Genesis 3, verse 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. In other words, to, that they would no longer have access to it. God, and I, we don't understand this. This goes beyond our human comprehension. Uh, several things. One is that we understand that the food we partake of today, uh, unless it's something harmful to us, there's really no moral connotations to it. it. It's something we eat and it goes down into our digestive system and, and we process it in that way. And there's really no moral connotations to it. And I think it was the same way in the Garden of Eden except for two trees. Uh, and I go back to what it says here, Genesis 3, and what, what Eve perceived there. It says three things. First of all, the tree was good for food. She could see that by looking at it. Second of all, that it was pleasant unto the eyes. It was the, the tree was something pleasing to the eyesight. There was beautiful fruit, I guess, in the sense of, of uh, her desires. And third of all, so when I wanted to really focus on that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And this is, again, a premise of which I want to stand on this morning as we go through this message, that there was an attraction to be drawn to something that would make them wise. And we want to talk about wisdom this morning. 
And we want to differentiate two different types of wisdom as, as we, we look at this, this message. So there was an attraction to be made wise, and also, as it was suggested, there's a lot of truth in the temptation that they would be made like as unto God. Uh, we have that in the, in the temptation. And in a sense that they would be able to discern good and evil. And that, what is wrong with that, to be knowing good and evil? Well, there's this amount of, of innocence, amount of uh, lack of accountability that they didn't have to have before they partook of this. And, and God confirmed that when he, he said in verse 22, The Lord God said, Behold, man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And at this point, I think that they understood good, and that was a blessing to them, but they did not understand evil until they partook of it. And so there, there's a, a knowledge of good and evil. There's a knowledge of uh, a, a wisdom or a, a worldly wisdom that went along with partaking. And as we move along in time, we have Solomon is said to be the wisest man that ever lived upon the face of the earth, I think that was up in his time. It would not include Christ, of course. But he wrote this in, in Proverbs 3, in verse 18. I'm not going to turn to it, but it's talking about wisdom. It says, She is a tree of life to them that lay hold of her. And it's using the word her as, as a, a description for wisdom. So this tree of it's not the tree of life, but a tree of life that if we partake of it, it's a, a an entrance into wisdom. So there's there's amount of of knowledge, amount of of understanding that entered into Adam and Eve that they did not know before. But uh, moving along in time, we don't really I don't think the tree of life is mentioned again until we go to to Revelation chapter 2, and the message there is to the church of uh, the Ephesians where it says that he that overcometh, I will, I will give to eat of the tree of life. Jesus is mentioning that as in his message to, to the uh, Ephesian church. Then again in, in the last book of, of, of our Bible in, in uh, Revelation 22 where it talks about the tree of life uh, the river going through a tree of life that is healing for the nations. But I'd like to bring this into more of a spiritual, uh, not maybe the literal tree of life, but I'd like to look at this morning that we have before us the opportunity to take partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and also we have before us the opportunity to partake of the tree of life. In the sense that when Jesus came, he came offering us redemption, and he also came, uh, when he offered, offered redemption, he offered a solution for the sin problem that came from what happened with Adam and Eve there in the garden. But he also came offering us eternal life. And I think, uh, from my understanding of eternal life, we often think of the future when we pass on from this world where we know there's an end to life in this world and into an eternal state of being in glory or eternal state of being in, in hellfire. But eternal life is, is broader than that, I think. It's a life that we receive from God. God alone is eternal, and, and his, he, we, as we partake of the life of Christ, as we have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ dwelling within us, there's a, a certain amount, uh, or to a certain extent, we have access to eternal life today. And I, I'd like for us to understand that. So we have the same choice to a certain extent as what Adam and Eve did. We, we're in this garden, this place that God has, placed, uh, has put us, and, and we, we have to choose between the tree of knowledge of good and evil and choose the tree of life, or, or to choose to partake of Christ when he said that he that, uh, that drinketh of me and eateth of me shall live forever. 
And it, it's, it's an ongoing, as we keep our relationship right with Jesus Christ, we have the assurance that we have entered into eternal life and we will never depart from it. We know there will be a transition from this life into, into life that is hereafter, but we are entered into a relationship of eternal life. And I think that that eternal life comes to us as if Christ had to make it available to us, and the only way he could make it available was through the way of the cross. In other words, for life to be transmitted to us, Jesus had to go through the cross experience. And there's also a cross experience for us. For us to experience eternal life today, the cross is a reality. The, the way of, of, of the cross is a reality for us. And I'd, I'd like to turn just a little bit to Luke chapter 14, and Jesus talked about the need for us to follow him and to take up his cross, and uh, that has something to do with choosing between the tree of knowledge versus the tree of life. I'm going to tie these thoughts together here for us this morning. So in Luke chapter 14, we have this multitudes that are following Jesus, and I think Jesus, knowing their hearts, knew that not every one of them was following for the right reason. And he says there in verse 26, if any man or if any woman does not hate father, mother, wife, and children, brethren, sisters, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And moving on down to verse 33, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And this morning, I think, when we think of forsaking all that we have right away, for me anyway, I tend to go to my physical possessions. I can have a bank account, I can have a property, a house we live in, a little bit of land we work with, and Right away we think of that. But I'd like to suggest this morning that forsaking all that we have it, it implicates much more than our physical possessions. Here a few years ago, I was uh, traveling in a vehicle with a young man uh, that I would have considered an intellectual genius. I mean, especially with mathematics, he could just, I mean, it, it was something far beyond the ordinary. He, his IQ was way up there. And he was a professing Christian. And I told him something, and I, I didn't know if he understood. And I don't know how much we understand this morning. I said one of the hardest things for us as human beings to crucify is our intellect. And I'd like to, to speak a little bit more about that here this morning because has a lot to do with the foundational part of the message. Uh, and maybe we'll just leave that for a little bit. But uh, God has created us uh, as intellectual beings, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it is good. But what happened there in the Garden of Eden with Eve and with Adam as he partook also was there was an understanding that was in a sense beyond where God was at. We understand better than God. Or maybe it's not always exactly that way, but uh, we, there, there is, there is a, a wisdom that is outside of God's way. And that was the wisdom that that Satan suggested to Eve there, whispered in her ear wherever he did it. And that, that very wisdom is also for us. And so it's a matter of trust. And I'll, I'll come back and maybe build on that a little more, but are we trusting in our own intellectual ability to understand things? Are we trusting in God to show us the way? And that is where I want to differentiate between the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life. Where are we trusting? Where are we going for when we go for getting understanding of, of issues or matters? Where do we go? 
I'd like to turn now to Luke chapter 10, and just two verses there that I think have tremendous impact on uh, our understanding on this topic here this morning. The verses are verses uh, 21 and 22. Luke 10, verse 21. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will be revealed, him. Okay, so there's things that are hidden from the wise and prudent, the ones that understand things from their own own perception, from their own intellect, from their own human reasoning. And these things, will, the, the spiritual things of God will be hidden from those people. And they will be revealed to babes. We're not talking about infants and, and the mother's laps this morning. We talk about people that are babes as far as in their, in their, their intellectual way of dealing to, with life. That in other words, uh, a young child, often they come to daddy or mama and they'll ask a whole bunch of questions. Why is that? Because they understand they don't know and they want to know. They want to get a grasp on truth. And so that's the type of babes I think Christ was talking about. Father, I do not have understanding on this matter. Father, there, there are deeper, higher things that I know so little, and I, I, I don't want to trust in my own understanding. Show me. Reveal to me. Enlighten me. Open my eyes, Lord. Give me spiritual understanding. In these verses, we see that it's not just the, the truth in itself, but it's the truth in the person of the Father. And in Jesus Christ. So, it says, No man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and to whom the Son will reveal. So this morning, are we a group of people that say, we want divine revelation of the person of Jesus Christ and the truth that goes with it? And we want to put ourselves in a place where we can have free access to that. Our dependence. I'd like to move on now to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. There's a tremendous a lot in this chapter, one of my favorite chapters, and I've studied, meditate, and, and ruminate to whatever this chapter. There's so much for the church here, so much for those that are involved in ministry, so much for those that are called to preach the gospel. Uh, I'll start out by reading verses 1 to 6 here, 1 Corinthians 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declare unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Albeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. So in other words, Apostle Paul, I think of intellectuals, he was probably someone that was way up there. You read his letters, there's some very intellectual things in there. But when it came to his ministry, when it came to his wanting to present the gospel and to lay a foundation people could lay a hold of, he did not want the foundation to be on intellectual uh, capabilities of a man, but something that was from God. Their faith would be founded on that. This morning, where are our foundations? Where's our understanding? Where do we go for, for wisdom? Where do we go for understanding and knowledge? We have a sharp contrast here. Verse, uh, the first three chapters of Corinthians, maybe into, into chapter 4, we have a sharp contrast between the wisdom of men and the wisdom of God. 
And I'd like to suggest this morning they're not just a little bit of a, a little bit of a division there, but they're they're diametrically opposed to each other. And one is uh, partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the other is partaking of the tree of life. Where 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 do we get fed from this morning? What what is what is nourishing us? And if, if we read here second uh, first Corinthians uh, Chapter 2 and verse 6, it talks about the princes of this world and that their wisdom came to naught. And we jump down to uh, verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So he's preaching Christ and him crucified. The wisdom of God was to just yield his life to these wicked men and let them just <laughs> nail him to the cross. That's the wisdom of God. Human reasoning does not make, that does not make sense. The wisdom of God goes far beyond human reasoning. But, if any of you ever have access to, I was just looking at it again yesterday. And this is not scripture, and so we've got to be careful with that. But there's an ancient record that was found. The record that Caiaphas, the high priest, uh, the report he gave to the Sanhedrin, why Jesus Christ had to be crucified. You ever want to lay your hands on some interesting reading? It's there. And he starts out by explaining their knowledge of all the different names, you know, the Old Testament names of God, the Hebrew names, and they all have their meanings. And uh, he said that the ignorant people that were following Christ don't understand these things. The wisdom of men. And, and we can think of the wisdom men and, and as far as atheists and as far as those that are into evolution and all that. And, but I'm not so concerned about that maybe as I am about religious wisdom that is apart from God. And the reason I say that is <clears throat> here we have men. We have the scribes and we have the Pharisees and we have the Sadducees. We're talking about men that made it their life some of them dedicated their life to the study of scripture. Then the truth comes to them in the person of Jesus Christ, the perfect living truth that was before them. And they missed it, not by a little bit, but by a long shot. And the question for us this morning is, why? Why could they not understand this is the son of God? This is the one we're waiting for. They had all the scriptures, everything lined up. But they had their own understanding and, and their own perception of truth and their own understanding of what Messiah was going to be and what he looked like. And it, they, they were just miles apart. These were knowledgeable men. These were men that studied the scriptures, but they came out so far from where they should have. And you know what? This morning we're capable of the same thing. We're capable of the same thing. These men were proud of their understanding. The other week, Brother John Perfect preached there at Strasbourg, and, and he gave this definition of, of uh, humility, and he said it is a complete dependence on God for all things. And I meditated on that, meditated, and I think it's right on target. Humility is a complete dependence upon God for all things. And that's where these men lacked, and that's so easily where we can lack. I don't know if any of you have done any reading of the early church fathers that are talking about up to the time of Constantine. I've got the whole volume. I've read very little, but I had some interest in origin because I understood that, you know, in the first three centuries, yeah, into the third century, there was already things that were leading up to what we now know as Catholicism. That didn't start with Constantine. There were some doctrines before Constantine. And... Uh, <clears throat> Even, I'm not sure how much has to say here, but there is some, some manuscripts that uh, some of you have with you this morning that come from, from uh, some things that were changed in the manuscripts. They found it, what they call Alexandrian manuscripts. And Origen had something to do with some of those changes. And I was just skimming through a little bit the writings of Origen, and this is one of the things that he said. Okay, so he's in John chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, all things that are made are made by him. And so Arjun writes, those all things have to include all things, and that would have to include, include the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was, was created by Jesus. Well, actually, he would even change that a little bit. 
It was the Father that created it through Christ, and I'm not sure sometimes those things can get sticky. But what was clearly in a serious error was that he, he had the Holy Spirit being created by God through Jesus Christ. This man was an extremely intelligent man. You can read it, his writings and he could spend a whole long page after page just expounding on, on the first chapter of, of John. So we know even in the time of the Apostle Peter wrote about the writings of the Apostle Paul, he said, where men rest the scriptures. I'd like to move on down here, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So the natural man, we say the one that's partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he is not able to perceive, he's not able to comprehend, he's not able to assimilate or, or take on the things of, the, of God. If you want to do an interesting study, just look at what the Greek word is of the natural. The Greek word is tuchikos, if I'm saying it right, which comes from the word suchi, which is the word that is translated soul. So I could change this up to read that the soulish man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. And here again, I have preached a whole topic or a whole message on this topic. Uh, and so we don't have time this morning. But we know that when God created us, he created us a threefold being. We have a body. We all understand that. And we have a soul. And we have a spirit. And it's a little harder for it to differentiate. But the spirit I would understand to be the place like there in, in, in John 4, where Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he said that if we worship God, we have to worship him in spirit and in truth. That word's a, uh, that's a small letter spirit. That's our spirit. We, if we're going to worship God, we have to do it in our spirit. And I do believe that the, the natural man, the soulish man, the, the spirit is, is in a coma. It's a connecting point with God, the spirit is, okay? And, and I could put up here a diagram of the temple, the Old Testament temple where we have the outer court of the Gentiles and we have the, the place where there was constant activity of the priests in, in the, uh, in the, inside the temple. And then you have the Holy of Holies, which I would liken into the, the spirit. I think when, when God gave that, uh, that model to Moses, he had this temple in mind. Okay? The soul is the part I want to talk about a little bit. What is the soul? It's our will. What we want, what we desire, our will, okay? And it's our intellect, our reasoning, and our emotions. And the natural man, that is what is driving his life, okay? It's, it's our own will, it's our intellect, it's our human reasoning, it's our emotions. And none of these things are wrong if they're in the right place. But if that is what controls our lives, then we don't have spiritual perception to connect with God. And you look at a person that is emotionally distraught, a person that is losing it. And I've felt like that occasionally. But, uh, the emotions are driving that person's life. Anger. Uh, discouragement, and then et cetera. And sometimes it has to do with because the will's not been surrendered, and that's not always the case. There's other factors, and I, I won't get into that a whole lot. As we're born again, the Spirit of God takes over, and, and the Spirit of God is in control of our lives, then the emotional, the, the, the soul part will be subservient to the Spirit. Okay? That's very important for us to understand. In other words... This, the Spirit, that uh, the Holy Spirit that's dwelling within and, and united with my spirit is, is what is making the decisions and, and what is flowing forth from my life. If not, then I, I 
the, the natural man, the, the soulish man, cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness. He cannot know them because they have to be spiritually discerned. But if we're spiritual, it says the spiritual judges all things. And said, we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of the Lord. I'll throw something else in. Well, maybe before we move on, there's only five times in the scriptures that we find this word that we have here, natural, in 1 Corinthians 2.14. And we have it again in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 44 and 46, where it talks about the first Adam being a living soul and the second Adam being a quickening spirit. The first Adam is Adam that failed there in the garden. The second Adam is Jesus Christ. So the first one was a living soul. The second one is a quickening spirit. And which one are we, are we following? Which, which one are we partaking of this morning? And then we have it again, and I think maybe I will turn to this because it, it's, it's very revealing. In, in James chapter 3, in verse 15, the same word that's translated natural here in sec, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14 I'm going to read verses 14 and 15 here, James 3. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descended not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. It goes on where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. That word sensual is suchikos. It's, it's soulish. The wisdom that that is that causes envy and strife and, and, and church divisions and et cetera, et cetera. It's earthly, it's, it's sensual, it's, it's soulish. This, this explains a lot of which tree we're partaking of this morning. If, if we're partaking of, of the soul part is what's driving us, then... Uh, that's a wisdom that is not from above, is what James said. And the, the fifth place we find it is, I'll just flip over to that, is in Jude. Jude chapter, or verse 19. Maybe I'll read verses 18 and 19. How they, that they told you that would be mockers at the last times who would walk after their own ungodly lusts, these be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. That's that same word, that word sensual. That they're soulish. They do not have the spirit. And that's what, what is controlling their life. So this morning, we're partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We're soulish. The soul, our own intellect. So I have a disagreement with Brother, uh, say Brother Jay here this morning. Either me or Brother Jay is not being led by the Spirit because we're, we're, we're at odds with each other. And I think we can both be led by the Spirit and maybe still not see everything eye to eye. I believe there's place for that. But, but where there's division, where we're, 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 we part ways where we can't work with each other anymore, either I or him or both of us are being led by our own soulish direction rather than the Holy Spirit of God. I, don't, I, I think that's getting it down to where we can understand it. I haven't really looked extensively into this. I'm switching gears a little bit now, but someone has said that all the major colleges in the U.S. were founded with the vision of preparing Bible scholars for, for the gospel of, of preaching the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here again, you know, there can be exceptions to this, I don't know, but for the most part, I would say every last one of them ended up being a cesspool for modernism, humanism, and postmodernism, which is relativism. Now, I'll go back to that a little bit. I'm, I'm saying words that you don't understand. For the most part, the, ma the major colleges, and maybe even the rest of them, started out with, with some, some high ideals of what they want to accomplish. And for the most part, 
ended up being the exact opposite. Why is that? Modernism. That in the 1800s, this was a big thing. So it could be that this was inspired. It could be some of it was, but we don't know for sure. And, and uh, we can find inconsistencies here. They took away the foundation of truth. That's what modernism did. We do not, they took away the confidence in this book. Postmodernism would have to follow, which is relativism. You can have your truth and I can have mine, and then we can be the opposite ends of the spectrum. You follow your truth and I'll follow mine, and we'll live happily hereafter. No, that's, that's postmodernism, where there is no absolute. So there is no absolute truth. That's, that's a teaching. And that those things have, have been prominent. And of course, humanism is the same thing that I think we've been talking all along, where, where man has the answers to, to life's problems. Why is that? Why do the higher learning places end up there? And I don't know all of the answers, but I, I think it has to do with somehow there's something in humanity that just can't handle it to a certain extent. After a while, we're just partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of life somehow lives us out in that. And so there's, there's serious concern about higher learning because of these things. I want to move on to the more positive part of it. I'm back in second, or 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 to 13. It says, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard Neither entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given us of God which things also we speak, not in, the, in words of which man's wisdom teaches, but with the Holy Ghost teaching, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Divine revelation. I want to be careful this morning. I'm not talking I got this new revelation. Divine revelation where God can reveal himself and reveal the meaning what is already here in this book. We've, we've already looked at it there in verse 14. It says if we're natural, if we're soulish, if the soul is, is controlling our lives, we're not capable. It's impossible. But as we're born again, as we have the Spirit of God coming in and he reveals to us of his person and of his truth, divine enlightenment, divine understanding, it's like we open this book and all of a sudden it's like we're reading it for the first time. God is showing us. He gives us understanding, and we want that. It's a humble place where we say, Lord, there's things I don't understand. I don't want to trust in myself. I don't want to understand. It's a sacred moment when we open this book. It's a very sacred moment when we open this book and are feeding other people. It's a very, very crucial thing, and where we are receiving what we're going to share is very important. And how we go about receiving that. And I remember early on in the ministry, we go into all these study books and all these commentaries and this and that, and there's place for that. I'm not against it. And I'd like to just clarify one thing. I don't think that reasoning is wrong. It's just we're reasoning outside of, of God's it's wrong. God gave us a, this faculty we call reasoning. He gave us our intellect. It's not wrong to study. It's not wrong to dig deeper into things, but it is how we go about it. My dear people, when you're called to share, whether it be the sisters sharing with sisters or brethren or going out on the street, what is the process we go about to prepare? And uh, 
this blessed minister study week, uh, you know, that we can do this homiletics and all this stuff, and there's a place for it. But our brother, um, John, um, I can't, it lost but my, uh, John Slaval, he got up and says, we're not going to talk about preparing the message, we're going to talk about preparing the messenger. And I'm saying, amen, amen. Because there's so much more to preparing the messenger than there is to prepare. Once the messenger is prepared, then he's, he's qualified to preach the message. Not that we don't carelessly just not prepare, no, but, but this life, this person, this instrument that's being used where the truth of God can flow through, and it has to be with prayer, and it has to be with fasting, it has to be with humility, it has to be with, I don't want to trust in just what other people's thoughts are. I want God to show what he wants me to understand in this passage. And uh, I need to bring this thing to close. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is, is another one that has so much there, and I, I'll just touch on it briefly. Verse 5, it says, or verse 4, maybe, and such trust have we through Christ in God, were not that we are sufficient in, of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of, is of God, who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, and the Spirit giveth life. Time and time again, people that are concerned about legalism and concerned about rules, they'll go to this. My dear people, this morning, I don't think it's talking about that at all. The letters, I understand, is the letters that we have here that, that form words. And, and the letters in, uh, that form words in themselves are dry, and they're incapable of doing anything else. And it goes beyond that, it says, that the letter killeth. So if I'm here this morning, and I'm, I'm sharing with you something that is just completely from myself, it's not inspired, it's not... There's not a divine unction involved. It can be truth, but that truth will not drive home and change lives. So that what changes lives is the Holy Spirit working through us and bringing conviction where it's needed. So it's, we have ourselves are banqueting from the tree of life rather than the tree of knowledge, good and evil. Human wisdom is diametrically opposed to the wisdom of God. And, and there's some areas where they definitely really cross, and one is the area of non-resistance, of, of yielding our lives, of, of surrendering when, when things, uh, when there's opposition, uh, that type of thing. But it goes far beyond that. It, it's, and I, I need to bring this thing to a close. I do think we should turn to John 16 a little bit. Now, when I look at John 14, 15, and 16, this is Jesus preparing his disciples for his departure and bringing the Holy Spirit in. And he says, you're going to be better off with me leaving and bringing the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit coming. Uh, we'll leave that where it's at. Go on to verse 13 in John 16. Verse 12, rather. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, he shall take of mine and show it unto you. So, Jesus is telling them, I have a lot of things I want to explain to you, but cannot bear them now. And we understand clearly why, because the Spirit had not yet come. We have the day of Pentecost, and the Spirit was poured out, and, and they were transformed. And there, there was power behind what they were doing. And uh, they were able to glorify Christ in a way they were not able to do that before. And Jesus said, all things are mine. So, so the Father... All things that the Father has were given to Jesus, and, and, and the Holy Spirit receives them, and he breaks it down to us. The Holy Spirit is the agent for doing that. Now, we understand, like I was saying, that they could not yet bear them because the Holy Spirit had not come. But if we would turn, and I'm not going to do that for sake of time, but 1 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul is speaking 
Almost the same words. He says, I, I would have things I would like to tell you, but you cannot receive them because you're carnal and you're not spiritual. This was after the day of Pentecost. This was when the Holy Spirit was available, but because of their carnality, they were not able to bear and understand some, some of the deeper things that the Apostle Paul wanted to share with them because they were partaking, as it were, of the tree of knowledge, of good and evil, and they, they were wise people. They, they had their understanding. So I was, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Paul, and, and, and they had their, their dissension there. And Apostle uh, Paul, in a kind way, said, when I come, I would like to know not your knowledge, but the power of God that you have. I already know that you know a lot of things, but that's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in seeing whether you have the power of God in your lives. What good does knowledge do us if we don't have the power of God in our lives? One last thing I want to say, and that has to do with the day and age we're living in right now. With the invention of internet, we have access to knowledge like never before. You want to know something? Just go on Google and it'll tell you everything you want to know. Maybe some things you don't want to know. Does Google know more than God? I trust we know the answer. But some people are trusting in Google more than they are in God. I look at Elon Musk and some of these others that are out front in the cutting edge of technology. What kind of men are they? What are the goals in, in life? What, are they, what is driving them? And I think we can go back to Genesis chapter 3 in the first six verses and understand it very well. But the question for us there are spiritual forces behind this, and, and I've, I'm seeing that clearer and clearer as we look at these issues that we're facing. This apparatus we have in our pocket, we can say it's, it's amoral in itself, and it might be, but the, a lot of things that come across are not. They're spiritual, either wrong or right. And the people that are, are designing, and the people that are Behind it, they, they have spiritual forces that are driving them. Do we understand that this morning? So what's the answer to all this? I know there's probably none of us here this, this morning that aren't at, at all involved with anything to do with modern technology and Internet. Huh? To one extent or another, I think most about all of us are affected. There's one thing I can leave with you. If we're constantly feeding, living off the tree of life, then these other things will be clear to us and we'll know what to do with them as we face them. One last question. How much attraction does the tree of knowledge, good and evil, have to us? How much attraction does the tree of life hold to us? I'll leave that with you this morning.